Hey, before we get to the podcast, we want to share with you an exciting new way you can help support the podcast. Yes, we have finally opened a Patreon account. Go to patreon.com slash 2NJB to check it out. We have four different tiers, and they each allow you to support the podcast at a different level, and you get really cool rewards. So go to patreon.com slash 2NJB and help us continue putting out great content for you. Thank you, guys. What makes a hero? Today, when we think hero, we might think of a Marvel or a DC superhero, the kind that wears a cape or a mask and saves the day. But here in Israel, real-life heroes are made every day. Only last week, two cops noticed a suspicious guy walking around in Jaffa. They arrested him and discovered he was a Palestinian terrorist armed with bombs and a machine gun ready to kill civilians. That's only one story out of many about real-world heroes here in Israel. Today, we have the honor of hosting a real-world hero. His name is Ziv Shilon. Ziv was a commander in the Givati Brigade in 2012 when, as he was out on a mission with his platoon, a bomb exploded in his face, literally. What happened thereafter would shape and redefine his entire life. Ziv underwent intense rehabilitation, started lecturing around the world about his inspiring story, created a beautiful family, and in 2019 received a Medal of Honor from the IDF chief, for his service and his achievements. We are deeply honored to have Ziv Shilon on the show today with us. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for you coming. For joining. Thank you for having me. So where do we start? <sighs> it's, 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 I think, refreshing to talk to someone like you in this kind of politi- politically charged time. Um, it is, but uh, lately in Israel, you know, it's like every week we have a political charge time. Like, <laughs> yeah. We have too many elections in the, in the last uh, decade years. or so. Yeah. So uh, we are always in this, uh, this kind of situation. Unfortunately, I hope that uh, the situation will uh, stabilize a little bit uh, in, the next, uh, in the next few years because it's important for every process that you want to achieve um, takes time. It takes stability. time, and you need stability. Need it must be like from what I, I guess after experiencing what you experienced. One of the air quote gifts it it gives you is perspective, mm-hmm. right? And I guess like you from your perspective, looking at all this mess, I mean, it hurts. It hurts. Um, I, I I can't define it in. Um, other way it's like it's hurt because we lost so many of our friends fighting our true war here unfortunately um, keeping the life of the Israeli citizens safe by the way both Arabs and Jews and um, to see period of time like for a whole decade that we just um, trying to find one point of sanity and uh, trying to achieve a little bit of unity and don't succeed, literally don't succeed to do it. It's It hurts. But isn't that what, what you fought for? To save 
the like Michiganous, crazy, yeah. insane, yeah. It, you know, uh, reality that Israel is. The fact that we are at each other's throats and we, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like the, the democracy, we are we are the only point of sanity and real democracy in the Middle East. And I fought for everyone's opinion, and I I I feel that everyone deserves to have an opinion and say what he uh, thinking out loud but at the same time i think that uh, we also need to find like a, a common space that we can work together to achieve goals because for example in the last year or so uh, i had a privilege under the minister of defense uh, uh, the, the former chief of staff benny gantz to lead the reform in the israeli veterans association and to be honest, you can't really work under this condition because when you're trying to complete the full circle of um, achievement and the long process, uh, mostly if it's complex process that uh, contain a lot of uh, different offices and a lot of different sections, you need to have stability because otherwise all the government offices will, will um, just not be able to understand completely what you want to achieve in the, in the higher level. And this uh, dissonance creates situation that literally full of mess. And in this chaos, you can't achieve anything to anyone. And the, uh, the, the layer in the society, the, the most, Vulnerable, the most vulnerable layers of society is the, the the one that that need these reforms and that need this change, and unfortunately we can't achieve it um, in a situation like that. What was the reform about, basically? The reform in the veterans. In the veterans, yeah. Um, we had a terrible um, incident, something like um, a year or so. A soldier named Itzik Saidian let himself, let himself on fire um, outside of the Veteran Israel Association, like the that is under the Ministry of Defense, and um, yeah. he was protesting mm -hmm. against the rights of uh, post-trauma soldiers like PTSD, and uh, from that moment on, um, the Minister of Defense took this uh, matter really serious, and we started a reform. Uh, to help PTSDs in Israel to get their what they need to 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 complete the rehabilitation and to because they didn't before no no and I think that uh, in the U.S. we had the same problem before uh, somebody really understand what it means to to walk like a complete person without anything that you can uh, that you can observe visually mm -hmm. and. And from the inside, you are dead. And I had a very emotional conversation with one of my uh, colleague, uh, former combat soldiers, something like three years after I was injured. He was with, the, with us in one of the, the hardest incidents that we had in uh, 2009. We lost both of my, our friends. And uh, he told me something that made me understand what it means to be post-traumatic. He told me, Ziv, 
sometimes I'm envy in your situation. And I asked him, you know, we, we, uh, we finished with our own service. You are completely healthy. I am broke. I don't have two hands. And he told me, I am envy you because on you, people can see and can tell. And in my position, nobody knows. And this is what eating me from the inside. And that simple conversation made me understand what it means to walk like a walking dead, post-traumatic combat soldier. And nobody understands you. And we try, we need to try as a society and of course uh, the government to help those guys to reintegrate into society after the injury. So I want to talk more about post-traumatic stress and everything there is to do, but maybe we'll take a step back and you can tell us your story and how you, how you ended up here. Um, okay, so uh, I was a company commander in the Givati Brigade. It's one of our infantry forces. I served for something like six years. In the 23rd of October 2012, I was at the last day of my duty as a company commander. And basically, it was the last operation. I needed to have a two weeks vacation and get in promotion to a senior position in the same brigade after this specific mission. And in the end of that mission, like in the last hour, I went to the security fence in order to open it and allow the last Israeli tank forces that worked with us to return to Israeli territory after we finished with the, open, with the operation. And because of the heavy fog and the fact that there were enemy snipers who were likely waiting for us, I was concerned for my soldiers' safety and lives. Therefore, I decided as a commander, especially in the IDF, to lead that mission by myself, especially this part, the, the, the most dangerous part. And uh, I walk through that gate and I told my soldiers, I will open the gate. I will allow the first tank to get inside Israeli territory. It will create some kind of um, cover from the sniper's fire. And then I will let you know and you will and you will join me and we will and I will let I will let you know in the radio and you will join me and we will uh, we will uh, complete the mission together, covering the other part of the of the armed forces and uh, I walked to open that gate and in uh, like after f five steps I heard boom an enormous explosion after open that gate and the explosion pulled me deeper into Gaza I remember myself screaming I a long eye that I still have the sound of it in my head and I opened my eyes and in a second, the, the pain felt my body. I immediately noticed that my left hand was missing. There was blood everywhere. And I remember myself trying to reach and apply pressure on the rune, but nothing moved. And then I looked on my right hand and I realized that my right hand was also almost disconnected, like lying on the flaming hot soil, hanging on small pieces of skin and flesh. And from that moment on, I understood that the worst thing that would happen to me as a soldier, and of course to Israel as a state, you know the situation, is to be kidnapped by Hamas terrorists. I knew it would be the worst thing. That That's what went through your head at that the moment. The first thing. 
the first thing because I knew that if someone will surprise me from one of the tunnels in the area and this was a, a period of time that we had a lot of tunnels I don't have any chance to take my rifle and defend myself because my literally my hands wasn't attached to my body uh, so in the first few seconds like you probably understand I trying to conquer my shock not letting it take over me but afterwards the first thought what was about to be kidnapped then to cut a long story short i took whatever that was left from my right hand grab it with whatever that was left from my left hand to my chest um, stood up using mostly my knees and just start running with all my gear back to my soldiers back to my crew i was sure that after something like five steps i will collapse eventually i ran about 250 yards from the gaza border back to the israeli territory of course my my soldiers saw me and uh, gave me first aid after i arrived to a um, much safer place and it was all under fire and it was uh, because once the explosion went off, I'm assuming the snipers knew the position. Yeah, and, yeah, and there was a lot firing. of uh, missile shot in the area and a lot of bombs and a lot of uh, um, activity in the same area. And fog, from, for it was a foggy night after three foggy nights. And eventually I was uh, evacuated by a helicopter to Soroka Hospital. It's in the south in Beersheba, the nearest hospital to Gaza Strip, in a critical condition. Um, I went through eight surgeries hanging between life and death in the first two weeks i uh, got 56 blood units it's equivalent to something like i think 3.2 gallons of blood i almost replaced my blood circulation twice i was for four days i was unconscious and um, from that moment on from that moment on i just started a new life so a few technical questions. So so the bomb was automatic or did someone see you and press the button? It was like uh, similar to EED that uh, when you open the fence basically it set it off. Yeah, when I opened the fence it set it off like the the the, the first thing uh, that caught my attention is there's the myth that uh, when such a thing happens to you from the adrenaline you don't feel any pain and you said you felt the pain. Yeah, I felt I felt something strange. It's not exactly pain. I felt like my body melted. This this is the, this is the exact terminology I think. I felt like I'm uh, in uh, like like somebody cooking me. And, and 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 it's not only in in my hands. It's the entire body like felt on fire. Uh, but the adrenaline was so strong that after a few seconds um like I every, everything was was foggy um, around me, and but I I managed to understand where where I am and what I need to do. Was there a split second where you said, either this is the end, or I don't have the energy or the willpower to get up? Yeah, yeah, of course. The first second was okay. My my I lost my life. I'm going to I'm going to die. And the second after. I told to myself, God, I can be kidnapped now. And this what I think led like the, the, the spread of adrenaline in my body. Like in the, that second, I understood that it's something bigger than me and I had to do everything in my power to complete this mission. 
including not being kidnapped because uh, the Gilad Shalit incident mm-hmm. is stuck deep to, to our hands as a combat soldier, especially as infantry soldiers since... This is right, this is right around the time he was released, right? Before yeah, or after? Yeah, it, uh, it, it was after. A year after. It was a year, a year after. But, and, and how come they, the enemy could implant the bomb... Oh, like it's foggy. It, yeah, exactly. It was anywhere. Like we found something like 10 different bombs, two different tunnels in this specific activity. And uh, we always say that if you have first night of fog in Gaza, you can uh, be sure that nothing will happen. If you have two nights of fog in Gaza, try to understand that something might happen. And if three nights in a row of, of fog uh, know that something for sure happened mm-hmm. and you have like it's like the the, the fans can feedback um the uh, our uh, troops when somebody touching it and literally the all fence was red uh, red points it, it means that somebody touched it so so we basically m- try to search around do all they do that areas. on purpose? Do they t- when they touch yeah, when course. they plant they touch all over so that you don't know where exactly they plant? Because yeah, it's important to say the signals are uh, segment based, right? Segment. There's like a segment like 200, segment 201. Exactly. And you know when you get a signal that it's there, but they touch all over. Yeah, they doing it in, on purpose. They know what we are doing already. To- today it's completely changed. Like we change all the strategy on the Gaza border and all the defense strategy. And everything there look different. I can't really expand uh, about what uh, happened there, but uh, but it it completely changed. But back on my days, it was it was this uh, this uh, uh, strategy of of the enemy was well known that they did it on purpose and um, to throw us off. Yeah. <sighs> wow. That's a yeah. It's a tough story. Yeah, but um, it's inspire. I mean, on one hand, it's inspiring because you're here with us today, and that's I think um, you know what makes us able to kind of take this in and and digest it positively. But there's so many people who didn't make it out who weren't as right. lucky as right. you. Um, something like two years before my incident, a soldier named Libran Banai, Zichrono Livracha, was killed um, something like 200 uh, yards from there in, this, in a similar incident. And um, after we left Gaza, after the disengagement, um, it became land of war, unfortunately. Like uh, when people asking me in a macro level about peace, I always saying that, you know what, if... Gaza today was 50% war, 50% land of peace and something else and developed at least a little bit. Um, I was holding a different perspective about the peace process. But unfortunately, every cent that went to Gaza went to build this war machine instead of giving those poor citizens um dream of life or hope so how how long did it take you to become a version of yourself that you'd be me a a little bit happy with 
Um, I think it, it's, it's, a long pro, it's a long journey, but, but um, in the first three months, you don't really understand what it means to live your life with no hands. Like, family and friends, like you probably understand, all supported me. But at the same time, I felt like I was a heavy burden on them. Before that, I had the responsibility of commanding 130 combat soldiers. It was my duty to bring them back to their family safe every time we went on an operation. And a few months later in the hospital, I needed my brothers to help me change pants and take showers. I needed my mother to feed me. Many times I thought that I was unworthy for my girlfriend. I told her in one of our conversations, I did just pack your things and go. I don't have anything to offer you. I'm not the same person. And I think that after a few months, you really start to understand what it means to live your life as a disabled veteran. And in the second it happens that you really understand in the other side of the equation, everyone continue with their lives. Like in the, in the first period of time, everyone around you, your family, your friends, your unit. And after a few months, everyone returns to their lives. And then you are in a point that no one nears you in the same intensity that it was before. And at the same time, you really understand what you need to handle. And this was the hardest moment in my life. And in addition to that, unfortunately, my mother was also fighting in parallel to my condition. She was fighting a war against cancer and we were in the same hospital wow. in, together. My father was going up and down in, it, at the, in, it, in the elevator for something like five times a day until one time he wasn't able to do it anymore and he was uh, he, he collapsed and he was uh, in another um, in if, you, if you get a collapse the hospital is the best place to collapse. yeah unfortunately he collapsed and he was in in the same in the same hospital um with us and uh, it was a very difficult wow. situation not only for my for not only for me as a soldier but also for my family and i i'm telling you all of that because i think that my mother was the first time I thought about anyone else except than myself and to to let somebody else enter into this equation that I used to call it choosing life it's changing the way you think and for me it the first steps was for her to let her know that I can be I can return to be the person that I used to be to to like to prove her that a strong spirit can take any kind of challenge and unfortunately my mother passed away after eight years of courageous battle with wow. cancer but but even though she wasn't there physically i decided to do whatever it takes to fulfill her last wish and i think that that what led me to open my life to the israeli society definitely the first step was to rely on my on my mother's situation and to give her hope and the second step was to 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 achieve something not only for myself but also for my soldier and the, the like the people of Israel to show them that um, I will not let my disabilities define me and that after all what the enemies try to do I I, I will still win and this was the next 
the next step, like to prove that even with my disabilities, I could do what people with no disabilities don't even dream of doing, but on, not only for myself. I wanted to prove it to, to other wounded soldiers that are in a situation that I was in the beginning of my journey and also to everyone that want to get some inspiration from my story. And then I tried to really break any uh, barrier that uh, defined me as a disabled person. So what's the main message you try to convey when you talk to people? What do you want them to come out from your lecture? First of all, that... Um, Disability is something that 90% of it is here. And when you try to do your best to highlight the other capabilities that you have and the other good things that you can contribute to the world and focus on that side, the disabilities became, the, the disabilities become something that will be for sure part of you, but your life will not be part of that. And this is the difference. Like you need to find a way to do, to, like you need to find a way to take the, the disabilities to make it and to make it part of your life, but not the center of your life. Mm -hmm. And this is my main uh, uh, message, like that I want to convey when I'm speaking in front of uh, uh, people to understand that every single one of us have his disabilities. Some of us have something that you can see. Some of us have something that you can cannot see. But every single one of us have it. And the um, default is, and the default is to let those bad things in your life to be the main part of your life. The challenge is to know how to take it, to put it in your backpack, and to make it part of, of your life and not the center of your life. And this is the, the message that I'm trying to convey. It sounds like, uh, like a testament to being, uh, or, or uh, an ode to being relentlessly resourceful, to mm -hmm. finding you know, whatever. And I hate to make it political, but to me it always, that always defined kind of the conservative outlook, the right. Is, is to not focus on, because often it feels like we look at victims and we look at people who don't have and we say these you know people need to be supported. And it's true, there are very vulnerable parts of society that need to be supported. But for the most part, we need to try and promote a set of values that tell people to lift themselves up and right. to look at where they can find the value and the advantages that they have right. except you know as opposed to focusing on the disadvantages right i think that you i totally agree this, with this approach and i i think that you know it would work both sides like first of all we are, as a society need to do everything that we can to help a weaker layer of society to integrate into society but at the same time those those layers or those uh, people have the responsibility to do whatever it takes to to try to achieve um, goals and try to um, move forward and um, I it's, think it's I mean it's got to be tough but I'm sure I wonder if you've encountered that that like i'm sure there are people in ptsd that you, you can't help them unless they want to help themselves right, right? and where like when do you reach that point how do you reach that like how do you get people to want to help themselves it's an interesting question because uh, people 
don't really understand that to be PTSD, it's like, it's like to be in, uh, uh, amputated or something like that. It's the same thing or from uh, a different perspective like you have in cancer. It's the same thing. Some cancer can be cured and some can cancer can't. And, but what makes it so hard, what make it, what makes it so hard to understand it that you can't see nothing on those people and you, when you are uh, examining them uh, physiologically, most of the time until uh, they have some disease that um, popped out, everything is cool. And uh, this is the hardest thing to understand that sometimes you can't cure PTSD, but you can help other people who have it to control it in three different ways. First of all, you need to handle it as fast as possible and as close as possible to the incident itself. Second of all, you need, and this is something that I understood, it's not something empiric that I saw somewhere. I understood it while I was handling uh, this situation and uh, had a lot of examples around me. And also part of this example is my friends. Part of, this, part of those examples are my friends. I understood that what people in this condition really look for is the recognition that someone will know that they fought for us and someone will know what they did and uh, this when when they are in a place that they know that they can contribute and someone knows what happened to them in battle it changing the way they think and it giving them another um another tool to keep, to keep moving forward and the third thing is we as a society uh, to help them get all the basic necessities that they need like somewhere to live somewhere to run away to when they have troubles with their family or when they have a period of time that they just they don't know to explain why but they can't control themselves and it happened a lot and we as a society and of course the government need to give them everything they need to fulfill the basic necessities and if you have these three elements uh, it not it's not a sure thing, but you can for sure um, make make the odd the odds better for them. So uh, let's get a bit geeky uh, about the arm. I guess many people are very curious about it and maybe are afraid to ask. So we're going to ask all the questions. So no, okay. what can you do with it? Uh, first of all, anything like this is it's it's an old fashion. It's a mechanical right. arm, a hook arm. By the way, it was a, p- a patent that was uh, uh, invented after World War One. A lot of people wow. lost their hands and they started uh, um, to use this as a tool, and it developed but a little bit. And today you have myoelectric arms that uh, contains fingers and all this stuff but unfortunately the majority of those arms not um, functional function fun, not functionable, functionable. Uh, but the, but unfortunately the majority of those arms uh, not functionable enough and this till today for my opinion if because i have another paralyzed and i need something that will be uh, with top f- 
functionality. And this arm is the, the one that I can function in the best way. And this is the, the reason I chose uh, uh, to walk with that. I tried the other arms, but this one for so far uh, is the best. But are you following like the technology? Yeah, and yeah, there's Elon Musk. He has this uh, Neuralink. Yeah, I heard about it. It's like, the, you know, it's like, it's like it's a the big machine. dream. Yeah, everything, you know. Everything I don't know about putting a chip in my brain if that's the big dream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that you know what it first of all it, like I'm, I'm today I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm dealing with uh, um, cutting at technology within the field the crypto field and within the fintech field and I had an e-commerce platform which I sold and I, you know I'm, I'm dealing with technology all day long but uh, um, I can tell you that the majority of investment, going to places that uh, I, I want to be honest that uh, the investors can find a lot of money mm. and unfortunately people uh, I don't know if to say unfortunately but people losing a lot of uh, 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 people uh, but people losing much more legs than arms mm. uh, causes by it causes by, it caused by diabetics, uh, diabetics yeah. and, and things like that Ski accidents exactly uh, and it's like um uh, one to one to five uh, uh, difference it's it, it's like one to five difference and and unfortunately most of the budgets in this section going to legs and uh, but now i know that darpa in the u.s uh, opened a section to that invested the uh, 100 million dollars in trying to to find the right solution to arms and i'm sure that uh, when there will be more investment in within this field we will be able to find technology that will literally change uh, amp like in hand star wars. we want star wars basically i, I robot i robot this I is robot. the example like something in yes uh, new york new york electric that uh, contain the uh, um reattached to your nerves and to your brain i thought you meant i robot like the vacuums yeah, like no. it also it's also a vacuum no no the vacuum the, 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 the <laughs> movie with will smith, smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. your wife's gonna yeah, get it's you it's an vacuum. old movie <laughs> yeah it's an old movie but this, this yeah. is the example of something that will make me stronger and this uh when this uh when this happened i will be for sure uh, using uh, an arm like that <laughs> uh, wow. but i uh, you know in in some point of that journey i decided to not l letting those things to to stop me doing what i needed and what i want for example i, I tried to swim in the beginning because i wanted to do an ironman competition and i started to swim with the special hand um, that uh, helping me swimming and unfortunately um the uh, law of the iron competition that if you want to race like in a regular race you can't have anything outside assistance or accessories to help you uh, race and in that point i decided that i have to do it in a regular way so i started to swim only with my legs and after four and a half years of training i completed about uh, two and a half miles of swimming and wow. after after finished this competition i knew i can do it and then i went to a full iron man and i did it by the way in arizona in the us uh, and uh, after three months i also got a letter from the Ironman Association that my achievement in 2018 i thought i think was at the top 10 percent in the world until the age of 
30 with and without disabilities and that point led Damn. me uh, think that uh, led, led me to then to the understanding that anything adventure is possible and all the other things that you have technology and uh, and um, assistive technology and stuff is, is, is just a part of your journey but you can't focus it or, or, or rely on it to keep moving forward And so since the the <clears throat> incident in 2012 like we mentioned you built a family was it is the girlfriend that you had back then she's your wife today yeah yeah and Adi. you built with her a family Adi yes Adi Adi is actually a rock in my life we were together something like three years before the incident and then she was with me a year in the hospital I asked her few times to leave because I I, I, I in the beginning of the people who and must understand that I didn't know that after a period of time I will try to handle the situation I thought that this will be my condition for good I will lie on a bed and people would feel you know close people would feed me and will feed me and uh, um, I think that Adi was one of my biggest hope I think that Adi was one of my biggest hopes in, in this journey and I proposed there in front of something like 4,000 people on a huge stage in an FIDF event in Florida until today she think that it was like, a, like a saying thank you or a gift about our period of time together before, the, before and after the injury. I, I want to share a secret. It was the only insurance policy that I have that she will not say no. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm lucky that she is with me today and she w- was me um, in this hard time. And um, I, I, now when I trying to use this, my personal example to uh, think about other wounded soldiers uh, situation, And trying to make uh, people that responsible on um, helping those guys in the VA in the Israeli VA uh, that everyone needs a D and no and not not everyone have a D and this is this is the I think the perfect example because when you have the people surrounded you then and when you feel that you was that you was blessed with the love of the people surrounded you is leveraging you to 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 try and and keep moving forward although the situation is sucks in the in the first period of time and you have you have kids yeah I have two kids Shira and Yonatan um, Shira is seven years old and uh, the uh, boats was uh, they, they both they both Shira uh, Shira was seven years Shira is seven years old and Yonatan is five and And uh, Shira started her first grade now. Wow. And wow. yeah, it, it, it's like, uh, it was uh, an emotional experience for us because uh, Shira was born albino. I don't know if you, if you mm-hmm. know what it mm-hmm. means. It means that her body cannot produce melanin, uh, which causes like leak of pigmentation and she, her hair is white, her skin is pale. And it comes with a very hard visual impairment. Mm-hmm. And um, after everything we went through in the past three years, like Shira was born that way and it was shocking for us. Um, and uh, unfortunately, 
something like uh, 18 months ago, we also found that uh, Shira have a diabetic type 1, mm-hmm. and uh, it all came together in something uh, like fixed ear spirit of time. And it was funny, after two weeks, it was, it, it don't found it, 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 the situation was funny because Shira had an assistant that helped her with her visual impairment. And when she got the diabetics, uh, she needed to have another assistant and another one that will help her with all the study and, and things. Like she went to the kitten garden, like Benjamin Netanyahu with three uh, bodyguards, <laughs> three, three, three different bodyguards uh, um, beside her. And this situation was, was, was in the beginning uh, um, stressful, but after, afterwards we understood that my personal life journey me and my wife understand that uh, my personal life and journey gave me different tools to handle this situation and today i'm thanking god every single day that i have the privilege to show her how to turn to the impossible to to uh, a tangible reality rely on my achievement and to show her every day that uh, that uh, uh, she will define how she want to handle things and not her disabilities she and can't she can't tell you daddy you don't know what i'm going yeah through. exactly and this is a huge privilege for me it sounds it sounds crazy but today i'm somewhere or in somewhere or another thanking god he helped me with this injury because hmm. now i can understand my, my my daughter better wow i i i have to ask you because you know you paid such a heavy price and you know your friends paid even the the hardest price um for our existence here And many people, I feel like from my generation, um, like I, you're like a bit above us in age, but the, my parents' generation was very hopeful. They dreamed about peace. And they taught us in the kindergartens, like people don't know, but we sing about the peace. And uh, you will not go to the army. You will not go to the army, <laughs> of course. And, but I think my generation, and you can see it now in the, in the polls, people like Ben Gvir, who become very, very strong, um, they don't have hope. Right. Um, especially also the, the territories, the Judea and Samaria, but especially Gaza. So, and, and also you see an interesting trend where so many people go out of the military and go to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I, I don't know, it's a complex issue, but how do you see the situation? I think that your personal perspective uh, through your army service will for sure uh, be a part of something that will determine uh, the way you think and uh, where are you in the political map. From my personal opinion, I'm... not so full of hope that if this is the right term that uh, someday we will have peace why But because I think that um, unfortunately we understand that the other side thinking different and when you are researching Islam and you are, when you are research when you are researching this type of Islam um, We can find different examples of Islam, but when you are researching Islam combined with when you're combining this type of Islam and uh, uh, terrible socioeconomic 
situation, you get in this. Uh, mm-hmm. The other side don't have hope either. Their leaders manage to take their hope from them. And when you don't have hope, you can dream about peace. You can also, you can, you can, you can only live the day of today and trying to think about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to survive tomorrow. And this is the, you know, this is, this is how. So the left says, let's give them hope. Let's give them hope. I don't think and I don't we'll think you, peace right but if you want to really give them hope you need to cut the head of the stake you need to really interfere in their leadership and you need to really because we all understand it that Hamas don't want peace for Hamas um, the equation of having war equals having more money and having more support and having more power and having more control. And unfortunately, if you want to change it, you need to really interfere in what happened there because you don't have really situation you don't have you don't have any uh, idea. they don't have any chance to start a new thing under the authority of Hamas. And uh, if you will interfere, the world will will probably uh, be. Yeah. be you know like you, the, we see in russia yeah yeah, yeah the world will probably say it's it's not okay and why you want to fear interfering and then again apartheid and 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 again occupation uh, occupation and all the, you know all, all the 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 terms that uh, defined israel in the last uh, few years and people from abroad don't understand the situation you know and 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 it's it's comfortable for, for hamas and um I can't find even one point of hope of how we can take the situation and um, make it better because we can see that we have an exponential situation that only moving yeah. backwards all the time so um, so we're doomed basically to send our kids and our kids kids to the army and they'll die and they'll get injured and Um, I, I, <laughs> you know what? I accept the fact that we need to protect our country. And what we need to do is to have a strong economy. And what you need to do is to have a strong technology and a strong army. And I think that one day, if the situation will change from... the other side I, I, I'm not it's like it sounds like I'm really uh, you know I'm, I'm dreaming yeah but but uh, but but, uh, but unfortunately I think that this in this period of time we just need to help us first of all start with Israeli Arabs and help Israeli Arabs to integrate into Israeli society and do whatever it takes to make them feel part of the country like we have a lot of issues inside Israel before taking care of Gaza Strip and the West Bank and if we will manage in this complex situation to um, to make the majority of the Israeli Arab part of us I think that this will be a start of 
starting uh, this will be a start for the uh, uh, for the process with the Palestinian Arab in the in, in Gaza Strip in the West Bank because this we, if we will have the support of the Israeli Arab we will be in different situation and you can really handle the situation but and, and if if you want to find one point of hope we have a lot of things to do to help that to help the other side we are in a economic situation that we need a lot of f- uh, war a lot of uh, yeah, uh, working powers and and we, and we can bring a lot of people from Gaza to work in Israel uh, and all the uh, uh, the big conglomerates in Israel have leak of uh, employees and we can use those uh, those uh, uh, people to help us but first of all we need to make sure that uh, no one will um, blow themselves up on exactly I'm not sure I'm as optimistic as you are I mean you know ultimately you look at the Arab population in Israel and you look at what happened last May and And you it's not so uh it's not so encouraging mm-hmm. you know the that that we have partners here in Israel in the air I'm not saying that all Arabs in Israel are uh are destined to have a certain mindset but they're the culture of the Arabs in Israel is not so far off I mean you look at the most friend the friendliest politicians on the Arab side of the map and you that you see how they speak in Arabic to their voters like Mansour Abbas and Ram and even them who are the only ones in the co- that were willing to sit on the most left-leaning coalition speak in terms of occupation and you know that and Shahids that need to be Shahids free yeah right right but um, I think that we have a chance because everything in the I think that a lot of of this process rely on resources and relying on and rely on uh, economical situation and today there is a lot of Arab Israeli Arabs that uh, really succeed in the business world what creating a different layers of Israeli Arabs here because they have a lot of money they can influence um, in a different way And if they have enough benefit from the Israeli side, maybe, maybe, maybe if they decide to take it to the right direction, they can influence uh, the, the weaker layer of the Arab society. And I, I, I think that the majority of the, the Arab business, uh, um, uh, business people thinking in that period of time only about themselves and they, they are afraid to express, to express the real, the real um, point of view on this situation because what happened around but from the inside they understand that with the Israeli economy they will always there they will always uh, be stronger and if someone will be brave enough to start and convey this new message I think it will maybe affect the weaker side weaker weaker population uh, um, in the Arab society before we go I have to ask do you have any any regrets about your journey um, it's strange but not even one and if you would ask me ten times if you knew that that this will be your situation this will be your situation in the end of your service uh, 
you will uh, still do it in the same way. I will say 10 times yes, what I got from the army service, um, the leadership skills that I had, and the um, achievements that I had regarding to leading a bunch of young people um, in a very hard situation, in a flexible way, and above all, the friends that I lost, and uh, the fact that I had the privilege to see a mother taking with a smile the, her, her baby girl to kindergarten, and I know that in some way or another she's smiling because I'm there, it gave me something that nothing else in the world could give me, uh, lifetime-wise. And for me, this privilege to be something so important to someone else that I don't even know, it's something that you can achieve in any other situation in your life, only in the army. And for me, this is the meaning of life, to leave something after you. And there is a saying that told me while I was in the rehabilitation center, uh, it was one of my idols, uh, Dr. Felix Zandman. He was a Holocaust survivor, a genius physicist, and one of the most successful Jewish entrepreneurs in the last century. And he said, um, people can take everything from you. They can take your money, your real estate, even part of your soul. There is only one thing no one can take from you, what you gave to others. And for me, it was the idea always, of lifting others that helped me lift myself in the rehabilitation and of course to make myself uh, satisfied for what I gave to the Israeli society while I was in the army service, although I finished uh, my army service with a very hard injury. I know that in my heart I'm uh, full of love and full of uh, giving and this is the most important thing. Amen to that. Yeah, thank Thanks. you so much for sharing your story very inspiring thank you how can people you do lectures abroad can people book lectures yeah you like, do tours? like after the COVID, the covid uh, the covid time like i had uh, less uh, lecture abroad but i think that after uh, after the situation will uh, come back to normal and uh, i i will continue to to do lectures abroad you have a website uh, yeah i have zivshilon.com and Z-I-V-S-H-I-L-O-N. Exactly. And, uh, and the people can read also a little bit more about my life story and my life journey. And um, for me, what, what, what really important in, you know, in uh, um, act like that, like what you're doing, it's you are giving a lot of angles to Israeli society. And uh, you're giving uh, people from abroad to understand our true story from a pr personal perspective. So I want to thank you very much for what you're doing and wish you all the best. Continue doing thank it. You. Thank, thank you. you how, for coming. how can people uh, help uh, veterans, you know, with PTSD? Or is there some kind of organization that you support? Yeah, um, um, there is a lot. Like Achim uh, Lachaim, it's a great or organization that uh, deals with the uh, people that uh, was um, 
uh, that deals with soldier that was injured in the um, IDF in IDF but in, in in war specifically in war and there is the um, Israeli VA Veterans Association like the Nechetzal uh, uh, organization and organization like Tikvot that it's small organization that helping uh, soldiers do physical activities and the physical challenges and uh, while doing it that they help them with their uh, uh, um, with their mental issues and we, we, we what what good what uh, I think that one point of hope that we have in Israeli society that we are always supporting each other and there is a layer of appreciation that you can't find in anywhere in the world so these organizations all uh, helping soldiers and there is a lot of uh, others and um, for for us uh, it's important thing you know in the beginning of the journey that to know that someone in Israel, and abroad uh, giving you some something small i will never forget the first people the first uh, person that came to visit me at the hospital from the u.s uh, he was from texas and just he came uh, he was in a vacation in israel he came with his cousin or something came to the hospital uh, gave me something and for me it was something that i will never forget because to see that someone from abroad a jews guy that lives somewhere in the US know about my incident and appreciate what I did it's something that filled my heart my heart with a lot of hope wow. okay so we'll put link to all those organizations yeah. that you that you put thank you so much for coming thank, thank you. you it was my privilege thank you so bye, much guys. bye bye Have see you next one. time <laughs>